this point in my career, uh, 12 years in, um, there's still a lot of luminary cats that um, I hope I can get to at some point, but the entourages are very intense. And uh, quite honestly, it's more important. It's kind of my purpose at this point to highlight younger cats who are still developing their own sound uh, in this time of incessant branding. And I had a chance to go on the road last week to the Pacific Northwest and uh, see some of my dear buddies uh, on the bandstand. And uh, as often happens, you know, cosmically, you uh, connect with other spirits along the way who are communicating with uh, those cats on the bandstand. And one of them is my next guest. Um, she didn't play as much as I wanted her to play that night, but I could just tell that, like, there was a deep soul and a searching quality and a lot of telling her story through her apparatus. And uh, Brooke Kafka, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. Thanks so much for having me. And what an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, you listen back to my interviews. I mean, most cats think I'm, I'm a poet, not a broadcaster. But, you know, that stuff just, I, I that's the where I want to start with you is like, where, like, that just came out of my head. There was no preparation and I could have gone on. It was a solo. And I just wanted you to talk about how you've sort of developed your improvisational chops in the sense of like um, being able to stretch out as much as possible without really repeating ideas. Sure. Um, well, as a saxophone player, you know, most of us get our early influences from the jazz greats. Um, going through school, of course, that um, definitely developed more as I went on. And I kind of realized that while I enjoyed jazz and I was being somewhat successful at it as a student and, um, you know, a learner. I, it wasn't really what was hitting it for me. Um, I really enjoyed listening to jam bands and Grateful Dead and just getting other influences, classic rock, um, so on and so forth. And that really helped me to develop into the person and the musician that I am today. Um, just realizing that I didn't have to limit myself, you know, there's kind of um, an expectation as a horn player that you have to love jazz and be great at jazz. And I realized along the way that I just wasn't what was fulfilling for me. And so I started to broaden my horizons. I started going to blues jams. I started playing classic rock, um, hip hop. And that really set the tone for how I play today. Um, a lot of my licks come from Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead, for example. You know, something that most people are like, oh, a horn player doesn't play guitar licks. But I got a lot of my influence from listening to really good guitar players. Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I wrote a book. It was beautiful to hear you say that. I wrote, a, I wrote a book on my interviews with the Wavy Gravy, the remaining Merry Pranksters, and all the people in Grateful Dead side projects. And so two, one of the Merry Pranksters, George Walker, who knew Jerry – very well said he Jerry would listen to hours and hours of Charlie Parker and John Coltrane. And on top of that, like the bottom line is this, like Thelonious Monk at Club Harlem or Miles, like they were playing to an audience six nights a week, three sets a night. And they had to dictate, they had to go with the vibe and the emotion and open people's hearts. And now it seems to me that like jazz is like this, cutting fest like there's not enough gigs there's too much insecurity it's a riffology course and it's just like the jam scene 
there are overlaps with quote unquote jazz, but I mean, Billy Harper, um, you know, a dear, a dear uncle of mine. I mean, dude, he went to the Vanguard one night and Coltrane was beating on his chest before he started the show. It was like berserko yeah. stuff. It was like what happened at the good foot. And it's like, do you feel that like one we- reason you, on top of the fact that it's just really freaking hard to make a living, that that it just it was such an uptight environment. Jazz has become so freaking um, individualized, and uh, and as a result, homogenization of sound as opposed to like playing it for the people. Oh, I absolutely one hundred percent agree to that. Um, it's also very cutthroat. You know, there's a lot of competition, and. For people, at least as far as I've seen musicians go, there's an expectation to sound a certain way, sound like John Coltrane and play all these crazy licks and just put in as many fast notes as you possibly can, as many jazz licks as you can into a small amount of time. But to me, I'm not trying to play licks. I'm trying to play my emotions, my feelings, how the music affects me. And it just so happens that the way I play affects other people in a similar manner which for me is success because I'm getting a, po- a point across with my feelings through these notes I'm playing and to make other people feel good and feel a certain way after they are listening to me is a, is an actually an amazing feeling and it's very fulfilling to get that. Um, I'm curious about like uh, <clears throat> if you were hip to um, there was this period in the late sixties, like 67, 68, the Jazz Crusaders with um, Tough Talk, um, Les McCann, Eddie Harris compared to what? And I'm going to leave out a couple too, but there were these like easily translatable tunes that rock musicians could actually play. I mean, if you go back and look at Jerry and Merle Saunders, they were playing My Funny Valentine. Van Morrison would walk into the, you know, to the lion's share with his saxophone and like blow on my funny Valentine before he would actually sing it. Um, and I just wonder if there is some people always, you know, there's a band called jazz is dead. I've, I mean, the dead to me are like skiffle players who are just improvisational and try to create in the moment. And that's the jazz aesthetic. But do you feel like there are overlaps between setting aside the American songbook and setting aside, um, maybe a couple other things. What are the correlations between the jam music that I love and you love and the jazz music that we love? Well, that's a very good question. Um, In my mind, jam music is just a different form of jazz. Um, You know, aside from the jazz standards, like like you said, that we've all come to know and love, um, a lot of jazz today is just altering chords, adding in, extra expressions that make it crunchy and then they resolve to you know a good note towards the end um and you know with all the jam scenes grateful dead fish also you can tell those guys know their jazz licks like they are playing jazz they put it into jam form and in my opinion you know if i think about old jazz i can relate it much more to the jam music of today as compared to the more progressive jazz that we are seeing out of younger people um, where it's kind of more fusion and very much more um, clashing and you have to really listen to to find your root notes and because you know you're doing all these 13s and fours and nines and sixes which is kind of out of the normal element of the octave that most people start playing with you know um, 
But I absolutely think it is just a different form of jazz. And you can definitely hear that with Grateful Dead and Fish specifically, because those are two of my biggest influences. Um, but you can hear the licks that they're playing. They have these little bebop influences going in there. Uh, you know, they'll do like uh, not only like the flat seven, but they'll, the sharp four in there and hang on that Lydian for a while. Um, so they're definitely and also like, very it goes much... back to like uh, it goes back to like Dixieland, New Orleans, too, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, but I, I mean, I, um, so have you, have you been able to like road dog it? I don't really consider the, I could be wrong, but the love muscles, I mean, are they a jam band? I don't think, is it, I don't think they're big enough to be a jam band. Um, they're definitely getting there. The love muscles is my newest, most recent project. And, um, in all fairness is really the only one that I've gone on a tour with this is actually my first official little mini tour um it i would say i guess in terms of the actual jam part um i would say more of like blues r&b style um there is definitely some jazz influence there with megan martinez as a singer um she has a really soulful voice and can really um you know improvise even with that um and come out to do some really really amazing things um but you know while i've been in portland here i think this is kind of the hub of the major part of the tour i've been playing with so many different amazing groups um all which have anywhere from an actual jam band vibe like lost ox who we opened for when i first got here you know to party city and um you know, Jimmy Russell's bands, those people, you know, that all of that is a, a mix of blues, rock, jam, jazz. You know, they do a lot of old standards, which I thought was really cool. So cool. I mean, I really yeah. got a chance to see the Quick and Easy Boys for the first time. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've interviewed them, but to see them uh, live was cathartic because they were um, really giving you like a deep bag of variety. But why, I mean, why, why, um, like, this was the first tour that you committed to. I mean, I just, I'd love you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, I just, I know my, a lot of my peers at 45, you know, I just like, mm -hmm. you know, they recognize that they, um, <clears throat> they're doing this for the love of the game. I mean, you're, you're, you're not getting paid for the gigs. We make maybe some off the merch table. Um, and I just like, to me, like, is it just your do you feel like music is your purpose in life I absolutely 100% do um being in Kansas City I'm from Kansas City I live there currently um I've play I play all over in Kansas City you know everybody knows my name and it feels great um but there is you know the reason why I wanted to come out on this tour and it's actually funny how Megan and I even met to, to do this it's really quite an amazing story but in Kansas City, I've been playing there for professionally, like a lot for about the last seven years or so. I've really put a lot of work into it. And I've been doing music my whole life. You know, I started piano when I was three years old. I picked up the sax when I was 10 and it just took off from there. And I've, I've never stopped, you know. Um, but in Kansas City, it's mostly blues, mostly jazz. Um, you know, there's other stuff in between. Not a lot of jam band stuff. And I also have two Grateful Dead tribute bands there. So that's kind of my bread and butter. Um, it's what I enjoy the most. But there aren't a whole lot of touring bands that come out of Kansas City. You know, you've got um, Samantha Fish. She's probably the biggest one right now. Or Dan Danielle Nicole. Both are, are blues musicians. 
And there's um there's a couple other bands, a couple other people that are touring out with somebody opening. But in general, there's not a whole lot of touring going on for local bands. And I just felt like something was missing. And I've been feeling that way for several years. Um, and I got an opportunity to go on the jam cruise in February, um, just kind of a last minute thing. And I took my saxophone with me and they had a, a daily jam there every night from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I took my horn out there every night and played with all the, the artists that were out there jamming and running the group. And Megan Martinez from the Love Muscles was one of the um, musicians on board. And she was running the jams and her and I, she just talked to me one day and she was like, wow, you're, you're pretty cool. You're really good. You know, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm in, I'm in Kansas city, but I really am looking to branch out. I want to meet some new people. Um, I kind of just want to further my, my career. And so that's actually how I got entwined with the love muscles in the first place. And at the time, you know, I didn't know her that well or her music very well, but I was just so excited that somebody asked me to travel outside of Kansas City to play gigs. And so, of course, like you said, there's no money involved in that. You know, it's more of a, a monetary sacrifice, but it was no, the but best actually, decision the spirit, I've ever made. I mean, the spiritual currency is unquantifiable. Oh, yeah. Unquantifiable. That is one of the coolest stories in the world. Well, I mean, who who were some of the cats on the jam cruise this year? Uh, they had the Sweet Lilies, uh, Sean McLean, which is another uh, Portland sax guy um, who's done some pretty major things with his career as well, was on there jamming. Uh, Daniel Donato from Cosmic Gravy. Right. We had Andy Frasco in the UN, uh, Dumpster Funk. Uh, cool, cool, cool. There was just, there were some amazing cats. And actually when I'm jamming with these guys, I don't know the majority of them, I, you know, or even what they look like or their names. And I was so nervous going up there because I knew that these were all big time touring mus musicians. And I was like, okay, you got to make it or break it. Don't embarrass yourself, Brooke. Like you got this, you know? And so I just, I went out and we were, you know, playing a little, a tune. They looked at me and I just took off and everybody's jaws just dropped like, holy crap, where did this girl come from? You know? So that was the best feeling because then I was like, that was when I knew I was like, all right, if I can hang with these guys, I can hang with anybody. And that was a great feeling as well. Honestly, that's this. That story is why I do my show right there. Yeah, that's because you know what? Everybody gets to that point in their life. Doesn't matter what it is. Parenthood, being on the bandstand, <laughs> just some serious traumatic <clears throat> or in the moment thing. But like, there it is. You're like, keep it together. Because you know what? All those cats are looking to recruit other people. I, I mean, did you make connections with other cats? I mean, obviously mm -hmm. Megan was the, was the one that felt right. But to yeah. me, like, that is like, uh, you put yourself out there, you were as vulnerable as you could be. And when it came, when it came to your time, you got out of your own way and just blew, you know, and that to me is what it's all about. So mad props to you. I don't know. You have two, how the heck do you have two grateful dead cover bands? Well, the first one I joined, um, I met their guitar player at a blues jam that was in Kansas City years ago. And him and I started jamming because I really liked his Jerry Licks. He's playing them over blues. And I'm like, dang, this guy, this guy's cool. You know, so we just got to talking and jamming. He's like, hey, you should come sit in with the Grateful Dead band. So, uh, you know, here I am six years later, still playing and very much more um, involved in that Grateful Dead band. However, um, I wanted more singing. I do sing a little bit. I love doing harmonies and I, you know, I can't just play, just play saxophone. Like I could, 
but I, I want to do a little bit of everything. I like sure. being very involved and, sure. you know, I just love, I love music. I literally have built my entire life around music and I wouldn't change it for anything, you know? And so uh, lo and behold, I meet up with this other girl. She's an insane singer, guitar, piano, everything. She's taught herself multiple instruments and her and I just, when we sang together, it was just like, it was a peanut butter and jelly. I was like, this is it. This is who I want to spend the rest of my life with kind of thing. And <laughs> we connected and her and I got to talking and I was like, let's do our own thing. So now we do a Grateful Dead mix, two females, harmonies on everything. We add in classic rock songs. Um, and Whoa. we just started this group, but literally after the first gig we ever played, which kind of more was just like, let's see if this will work. We had multiple people approaching us to book us. And it's just literally taken off from there. Yeah, so her and I are now on the Yeah, we're on the search to and I told yeah. her I've been telling her about this trip and I was like, We are doing this next year. We are going to tour. We are gonna meet all these musicians. We're gonna go find the ones I've already met. We're gonna get them to come play with us. And uh yeah, so it's um it's just really flowered into something beautiful. Um what are the names of the what's the name of the first band? The Crazy. first band is Better Off Dead. Better Off World. Dead. Yeah. And, and, and then your band, do you even have a name yet? The Our band, the, me and my friend Michelle Cox, we are the Dames of the Dead. Oh, my God. This is revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> and in history, there's only one other all-female Grateful Dead cover band anywhere, ever. Yeah, I, don't, I would say I thought you were the maiden voyage on that, but I guess there was one. I don't even know who that was there's one more and it, yeah it's just still it's, it's great it's great to it's great to take people by surprise and then it's great pe people coming along you know because it's a long story that i'll tell you later but my, my dear friend misha who went to university of kansas and then jazz program incredible saxophonist and i think he'll be back out there um at, be, next year uh and you guys definitely need to link up but i just you know he's come back to tucson and you know uh where, where I live right now. And, um, you know, uh, he is so brilliant and like, you know, just so good and doesn't necessarily, the, the vibrancy of the scene is not what it might be in Kansas city. I mean, Tucson is a desert rock town, although we do have, I mean, in the top five greatest jazz clubs just opened in Tucson called the century room. I kid you not. It is oh, at wow. the same level as jazz alley, any club in New York is the baddest thing ever. So, but still, uh, he doesn't play a lot live and uh, when he does it's always spot on but you know he picks and chooses I just wonder from your schooling and maybe you can talk to younger cats because it seems like uh, you got you're pretty like grounded cat I um, I wonder what you could say is the biggest thing that you can you took from the academy that you can apply on the bandstand Oh man. Yeah. There's a lot. I learned a lot. Like I may not, I got burnt out after college for sure because it's very cutthroat. It's very competitive. And like I mentioned earlier, they really just drill classical and jazz only. And like, that's pretty much the only two forms of music that exists, you know, pretty lame. Um, yeah. which um, it was hard at first. I was very lost when I, you know, left school, but coming out of that, um, the things I learned that were the most important and have, have spurred me on throughout the rest of my life and will continue to is my ear training. Um, mostly because I have, I now have near pitch and 
really, actually, all the hours of practice that I did with my saxophone there, my my saxophone has not become my instrument. It has become an extension of myself. And that, to me, was so very helpful. Because if you're not feeling comfortable with your instrument, if you're not, and even with the music you're playing, there are so many different forms of music and so many different outlets that it took me three years after college to really find out that I still loved music and that I wanted to play. It just wasn't classical or, or jazz for the most part, you know? Um, so to younger people that, and I've heard this from multiple people that school's hard and it kind of turns you off from music. Huh. And a lot of people pick a different profession after that. And um, the most important thing about that is find what makes you happy. And, you know, for a long time, I just went out and played at jams for fun. I didn't book gigs and try and make money off of it. I worked a day job and then I would go jam at night just to get myself out there. And that's where I learned what forms of music I really enjoy, which ones I'm not so comfortable with, which ones I need to practice on because I want to be more comfortable in. And so any kid that's like, oh, I, I love playing saxophone, you know, but I've heard a lot of, a lot of um, parents actually have come up to me, oh, my kid's playing saxophone, but they're not so much into jazz. And I'm like, jazz is not the only thing out there. Go find your favorite metal artist. Go listen to some metal and play that saxophone over it. See right. if it fits. Find some hip hop and R&B, you know, play classic rock. The very first song I ever learned to play on the saxophone was Ants Marching, you know, by Dave Matthews Band. Sure. And, you know, it's just, it's just the, the sky is not the limit. No, it's very, it it's music. a very good point. Uh, I mean, you know, Bert, Charlie Parker listened to country music on the, uh, you know, the AM dial or whatever. He would just listen to and learn how to play that song in all 12 keys. But, you know, no, it bums me out that you can't, I'm sure there are specialized programs, but like the lack of adherence to like world music, I mean, the saxophone is huge and African music and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and then like, uh, you know, just like, um, and then not really exploring, um, not having any kind of like touching on the blue, the blues or country like that is remarkable mm -hmm. stuff. Because you know it took a long time for the hillbilly music of bluegrass in the mid '60s to get the academic credit it deserved and the validity of it. Most people figured as a folk musician, you just followed this academic path, you took your classes, you learned your chops. And then all these amazing dudes who had no formal education and just could pick like crazy. And all of a sudden, hillbilly music blended with bluegrass. And I just feel like, you know, so many of the cats that I interview that work at universities now, they can't, they weren't taught this way as musicians. They weren't raised this way. They were on the bandstand. See, like, my question is, during your years at school, it was so cutthroat. And there was so much pressure and there was really no opportunity for you to go out and do what you did three years after you graduated. Nope. Not at all. That there was, was the, a big, lot that's of... the biggest difference, but I'm sorry to cut you off. That was the biggest difference mm -hmm. between what would happen with uh, John Abercrombie and, 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 and Sco at Berkeley, all those cats during their college years, they played they already they had both things going on, so when they walked out, they were ready to go. Still, I give you a lot of credit for going through that evolutionary period. That takes a lot of stillness because there's a lot of pressure to just sort of move forward blindly once you get the degree. So, um, 
But that's a major difference. You had no chance to really acclimate to the bandstand during school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of extracurricular jazz bands and large groups. Um, and while I was in college, I actually played Barry sax in college. And that was the instrument that nobody could beat me at. I was the best one. So <laughs> I, I got a lot of opportunities doing it that way. And I do actually very much miss playing Barry sax. Um, yeah. I don't own one now, you know, they're expensive. But um, I got to tour in Japan. I got to go to Europe. Um, so I did a lot of things through the school that really moved me forward. But again, like I said, it was just strictly, strictly jazz. And as much as I love and appreciate jazz and like, that's where I got, that's where I started. Um, it just wasn't what was hitting my, my personal soul, the way that I thought music should feel to me and which is what caused me to branch out. You know, I didn't want to give up on music just because I wasn't enjoying one genre of music. So. Incredible to hear that. Um, but actually very valid. I mean, do you feel um, one reason you are very secure as a player is because, um, you know, on a good night, um, you realize you're not fully responsible for what's coming through you, but you're kind of a vessel for information. And, and like, how did that uh, dawn on you? Because I feel like cats, you get into these competitions, comparisons, which is just like wanking it. But like, it's all about, you know, just, um, um, you know, believing that you're fully responsible for what comes out of your apparatus. And I just wanted you to talk about becoming a conduit for information coming through you from the heavens. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so, yeah, there is a lot of information, a lot of shedding. You know, you're, you're learning a language, especially when it comes to jazz. You know, it's just like anything else. You have to create sentences that flow. Um, as far as being responsible for what's coming out, um, there did come a time, uh, maybe about five, six years ago, when I started going to blues jams and kind of was kind of refiguring what I what I wanted, and I would get so nervous, you know, getting up on stage, like what if I my fingers don't line up with what's trying to come out of my head, you know, all this stuff, and so I started closing my eyes when I soloed, even or even just when I was listening to another guitar player, closing my eyes so that I don't have that visual um, distraction coming through, shuts my brain off for what all the information coming in and allows me to only focus on what is coming out. And once I closed my eyes and I just trusted myself, hey, just play what you're feeling. Now, when I play, I don't, I almost never am like, oh, I'm gonna play this lick next. Like uh, that rarely happens. It's just how I'm feeling and whatever's coming through my heart is what's coming out of my saxophone. And like I said earlier, the only way that that actually lines up and comes out right is because I consider my saxophone an extension of myself instead of something that I'm attaching to my body and I have to make it work. And that really changed a lot of things for me mentally and also got rid of the stress and the the insecurities that come when you're like, well, what if I play this crappy solo or, you know, what if I play the wrong note? And it was more feeling everything that you're hearing and that allowed me to feel it back out into the world. Oh, man. I mean, I can't, you are just like, as very, uh, can you talk about like um, the idea, like, I mean, why did Miles, Miles closed his eye or turned his back on the audience? Cause he didn't want to see people's facial expressions. He could just play what he felt. Um, you know, that does take uh, you to, you need to have your rudiments under you. I mean, do you feel like 
Um, I don't know, in a song like, uh, uh, you know, Dark Star or something like that. I mean, will you just, can you go for as many bars as you want? I mean, the, basically, the my favorite music is just blues-based jam music that has a lot of visceral burn, a lot of polyrhythms. But like, you know, also it's like nobody's concerned. Nobody's looking around about when to come back in on the on the tune. Yes, there is a an absolute level of patience, and when you say no one's worried about when they're coming back in the tune, uh, you there is a certain level of control that you have to let go of to feel comfortable doing that. Right. You know, um, right. especially in other, you know, even just relating that to blues. You know, everyone has they have their blues standard. You have your twelve bar solo, and then you're done, or whatever. You know, but everyone knows that, and that's kind of like the that's the level of control. It's like, okay, here's the control function. We're doing this, 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 and this. And, and when you get into a jam group that really just lets things kind of feel out and give patience is a huge thing. Like waiting, not being so eager to just jump right in and play a bunch of background stuff where it sounds cool. Like let the, let the bass come in, let the drums do their cymbals and tap around and make it kind of floaty. Let the guitar play one or two notes every couple bars. And then you listen to all that coming in and I kind of, actually this happens a lot still. I have to kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, slow, don't rush into it because there is a, a good, wonderful feeling when you know you have all the time in the world to create something. And to, so to not rush through a song, which jam typically does not rush songs. They definitely play out the solo sections and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of space that is that's a comforting feeling but a very um atypical feeling so it does take a little bit to get accustomed to that i mean i feel like how many of the bands that you play with uh regularly um basically have that telepathy i i know you articulated it very well but yet a lot of bands that are sort of sort of treading water so to speak you know you just you just feel it's not an impatience, but the songs are not, you don't feel like that you have all the time in the world. He's in a, even as an audience member, like the cat's yeah. just going to do it. It's going to come back. I mean, um, what's your favorite? I mean, <clears throat> the love muscles definitely, uh, what's your, what do you look forward to the most? How unpredictable, how, how, how big a bag of tunes are there? How many originals do you guys play? And, and what is your, what is the thing you most look forward to uh, playing on with these cats? We have right now, we have about almost two hours of original tunes. And we have, I mean, at least the last couple of weeks that I've been here uh, doing, you know, multiple gigs a week, uh, we've done maybe four or five covers and they're all different. Um, because I, I guess in terms of cover tunes, we've gone from Toxic by Britney Spears to the old timey hot nuts, you know, which is like an mm. old jazz type standard. Um, as far as the original music that Megan writes, she writes some really good stuff. And that's honestly really why I fell in love with her because not only was it new, but it was original tunes that I related to. The feelings, the soul that she puts out into those songs, it really caught, it caught my heart. And that's how I knew that this was gonna be a good relationship because I could feel how much passion and power she had. And I knew that I could match that and that I could compliment her very well. 
Um, I honestly probably couldn't give you a favorite of my tunes from hers. Uh, there is a tune called Baby, I Just Want to Do You that has this great music video to it. It's oh. the first song I ever heard of hers. It's funny. It's cute. It's got a really good melody and rhythm. Um, so that was definitely like my first one. I was like, all right. But she has this ballad that she wrote called You Inspire Me. And it's just one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. And when we actually, when I first got here, she's like, well, we don't play this song with horns. We just let the guitar go. Well, lo and behold, we're practicing it. And we didn't have the guitar player at our practice. So I'm filling in and I'm doing this stuff. And she's like, wow, you know, I actually think you should play horn on this, <laughs> you know? And, and I, I attribute that to my, my style of playing, you know? I, like I said earlier, a lot of sax players throw in a lot of stuff or very intense and you're trying to get the most licks that you possibly can. And well, a song like you inspire me, that's slow and beautiful and there is space and it needs to have that space really allowed me to listen to what was going on and just to add in slow, um, you know, slow sounds or I'm holding out long tones with swells and just doing kind of basic just chord tones for the majority of it but then you know of course we have the solo section and that's like when I really get to shine and add in all the things I'm thinking about in my head that I think I want to add in that are just too much for the song during the verses when I get to that solo that's when that's my chance to add in all those extra things I wanted to add in during the rest of the song which is really nice can you talk to, uh, about um, an experience of uh, playing music on psychedelics um i don't do it very often <laughs> actually i'm no i'm curious um, about like once because i mean to me like that's when you have to just learn to sit in the mess and i just was there an was there a memorable time for you because uh, i mean <laughs> not that people are doing it all the time but i know you're a psychedelicized well, let, let me tell you about my first experience doing that. Um, yeah, go ahead. So I'm actually a huge fan of bluegrass, so I'm glad that you brought that up earlier. Yeah. Um, I go to Winfield Bluegrass Festival every year, um, which is down in Winfield, Kansas. Uh, it's been going on for 51 years now. But the very first year I went down there, um, I didn't know that many fiddle tunes yet, but I was like, yeah, I'm just going to try this out because I loved Doc Watson. He was one of my favorites. Absolutely. And so I go down there, and of course, we get down there to the campgrounds. Everybody's jamming. I was like, all right, this is my, this is my shot. I'm going to get my saxophone out and show all these people a saxophone player can, can be here. And right before that, someone had given me some quite strong uh, goodies. And Dose, all yeah. of a sudden, I go to put my saxophone together, and I forgot how to even put it together. Yep. I forgot how to play it. <laughs> like, my whole brain was just like, this is not yours. You guys, they're not together. Like, this is not happening. <laughs> So I ended up actually not even, I tried to play like one note and it came out as this weird squawk. And I was like, nope, this isn't happening. You know, now years down the road, I tried a much smaller dose and, and it went much better. Now, when I'm with other people that are, that are, you know, tripping and having their experience, it's actually kind of comforting because there is a lot of chaos that can happen with that, especially with someone's really feeling something and someone else is really feeling something else and they just don't quite go together. Yeah. I could see that being but, a big problem. Yeah. But at the same time, like, again, like I said, I learned to listen to other players and just, just to compliment them instead of being right. selfish about my own 
getting my own sound out there. And when you really take a step back and you're just trying to blend, it makes a huge difference on what you can do with people, regardless of what state of mind they're in at the time. And I've, I've had some very, very magical experiences with people doing that, you know? You're talking about where you weren't tripping, but they were, and you were able to sort yeah. of fo- foster this communication yeah. dialogue, so to speak, as opposed to fighting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I, more often than not, I will not trip just because I like, I like to be able to know that I'm comfortable with, with playing and there is a level of tripping that is, is a high anxiety. And I think that takes away from my overall feeling. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the, it's such a good point. It's the last thing. I mean, I tripped a lot when I was in college, but I mean, I, I can't even imagine getting on the bandstand and trying to keep it all together. Once it co- starts coming on, what, where do you feel you need to grow the most as a person or a player? Um, honestly, this, this month that I've been in the Oregon area has been so wonderful and welcoming and also eye-opening. You know, like I said earlier, for a long time, I was just kind of feeling like I love Kansas City. I love all my bands. I've got some great musicians, but I'm just feeling kind of stuck. Like I feel like there's more out there in the world that I'm not experiencing. And so for me to come up to Portland in one of the most amazing music towns I've ever been to with the most amazing people, the level of support and welcoming that I got and that I've had since I've been here, you know, I've jammed with 10 different groups, you know, and then we we went out and we did a a little weekend in Cottage Grove and Newport these last two days. And just to have people come listen to our music that had never heard us to come and val, you know, not that I needed the validation, but, oh my gosh, you fit in so well with this band and the, you know, this music, that's a really great feeling. And honestly, in, in order for me to grow more, I need to continue what I'm doing now. This, the last three weeks have, have definitely made my, my choice and my thought that I need to be a traveling musician. I have not learned so much in such a short amount of time, I think ever to where, and it has been a really positive experience the whole way. Even when I didn't know the songs or even if I messed up on a solo, I didn't have, you know, in college, don't do that again. Go practice for 12 more hours. Right, you know? right, And right. I didn't experience that here. You know, I acknowledged that I made a mistake and that's, and then life goes on and that's a great feeling. I don't have to sit there and beat myself up for three weeks after a one gig where I messed up on three notes, you know? Um, so my goal now is to continue to travel, to continue to meet as many people as I possibly can. Um, I recently, my, my sister got recently married and her husband's family is from Jamaica and you're like, Oh, you got to come down and play saxophone in Jamaica. It's like, Oh my God. <laughs> yes, I do. You know, I mean, you got the Rastafarian vibe anyway. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable that that, so when, I mean, do you ever get over to Arizona? I mean, basically you, are you seriously considering just becoming a road dog musician and like hopping after a while? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, my goal, it depends. You know, I have two bands in Kansas City that are potentially trying to build a tour. I'm also going to be trying to do my own tour. Um, you know, I talked to my Dames of the Dead girl and I was like, man, maybe we should just open up for the Love Muscles and do another tour next year. Cause it, now that I'm in the Love Muscles, I'm never, I'm never leaving Megan. She's amazing. 
and I can be more grateful for my experience with her and my friendship with her. You know, so she's, yeah. she's such a, an amazing personality and she is this light that shines through everything and people just flock to her just for how amazing of a person she is. And then they hear her voice and it's like, Oh yeah, girl, you got yeah, it. Yeah, no, I mean know? that that she 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 got in my heart too, you know. She's she's yeah. deep, she deep cat. I mean, it's beautiful that uh yeah, I mean it, it's easier said than done. I just I, I to me like I just wonder you know, in general, um if you could talk about uh your concept of love and uh how you bring love to the world uh in your own way. Well, you want through music or through personal? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, totally. Uh, I just, what is your concept of love uh, in terms of if you could describe it? Oh man, my concept of love. I mean, the thing I think about constantly, like I wake up every morning, is I want to love everybody, no matter what, you know. And that doesn't mean let people walk all over me. Right. That means that I give everybody a chance that I want to listen to anything someone has to say. And you never know what how a person's feeling until you talk to them. So never make an assumption about something. Um, as far as love, you know, I can love everybody, but it won't make a difference in the world. But if I play my saxophone and I love you that way, like that is something that is long lasting. To see the way people feel when they experience music that they're enjoying and that really gets them in their soul to me, that is love. Like that makes me happier than anything else I could possibly do in the world. Brooke Kafka, I mean, you blew me, blew my mind today. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I really am so honored uh, to connect with you guys. Uh, you know, for me, it's uh, this journey is about the sort of the cosmic connections between people. So much of, uh, you know, what I do as a journalist. Um, uh, especially on the road is it's it's not it's in the spirit mind so to connect with other spirits people that are um you know ultimately trying to bring light to the world that's kind of all i've tried to do in the last 12 years and it, you know it doesn't <clears throat> it it doesn't uh it's definitely the insecure path but i can tell that you are on the rise and uh and uh yeah i hope you guys i hope you guys can get through arizona at some point Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I plan on, on hitting it hard, you know, and it's not even about touring, you know, cause touring is hard. We've been exhausted. We've been packing every day and going from place to place. And, you know, it's a lot of work for very little money, but we've, you know, you can't say it enough. It's not about the money. It's about how fulfilling taking, going out and meeting new people and sharing your music and connecting with the people who come and watch your music. You know, I I can't even tell you how many people I've met since I've been here, but every person comes up and is like, thank you so much. When you came out in the middle of the room and you played that solo, I melted and I will never forget. That was the best moment up to this point in my life. You know, that's the kind of stuff. That's the connection you make with people. That's the love you bring. And there's no better feeling than being able to do that. Bless you, my friend. Have a, when do you guys? When are you going to go back to Kansas? Are you, how much more of the tour is going on? We have a week left. Yes, well, this is my last week. Enjoy every minute of it, and 
you know, let's definitely stay in touch. It was, it was yeah, thank you so much, Jake. Thank you so much for approaching me. <laughs> I, this is just the coolest experience. I really, well, I mean, honestly, you're, you're part of your, you know, it's, I, I just, everything is on intuition and instinct, which the musicians I love, I mean, it sounds like you found that, you know, and it's, it's really hip. And uh, I think you probably mean, you mean a lot to a lot of people. So just keep, keep, keep it up, man. Keep it up. my friend. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks for having me. All right, friend. Take it easy. You too. Bye. Um,